I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my Big Bag of Onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts and bars unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio Had a soul made me so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone The young stars were standing right here Take off what you're wearing And run wild 
onions. Mercy me, exclaimed Mrs. Bird. I wish you'd told me. I haven't put clean sheets in the spare room or anything. She looked down at Paddington. Though judging by the state he's in, perhaps that's as well. It's all right, Mrs. Bird, said Paddington. I think I'm going to have a bath. I had an accident with a bun. Oh, Mrs. Bird held the door open. Oh, well, in that case, you'd best come on in. Only mind the carpet, it's just been done. Judy took hold of Paddington's paw and squeezed. She doesn't mind, really, she whispered. I think she rather likes you. Paddington watched the retreating figure of Mrs. Bird. She seems a bit fierce, he said. Mrs. Bird turned. What was that you said? Paddington jumped. I, um, I... He began. Where was it you said you'd come from? Peru? That's right, said Paddington. Darkest Peru. Hmm. Mrs. Bird looked thoughtful for a moment. Then I expect you like marmalade. I'd better get some more from the grocer. There you are. What did I tell you? cried Judy as the door shut behind Mrs. Bird. She does like you. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions.
despite all my weaknesses, baby And that's okay At least I've got options All the things you'll see listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. What is interesting about population is that at the end of the 20th century we saw tremendous changes which are going to follow through over the 21st century. And basically our population is changing in size, it's growing very rapidly. We currently have about 7 billion people on the planet. That has probably doubled in the lifetime of most adults in this country. It is going to increase, we think, to around about 10 billion and then it'll probably flatten out. It's changing in its density. We're all becoming far more urban. Currently, we have about half the world's population living in an urban area. That will increase to 75% by the middle of the century and to about 80 to 90% by the end of the century, when nearly everyone on the planet will be living in an urban area. Distribution of population is changing. We're becoming mobile in a different way. Traditional migration patterns are changing. Who migrates is changing, where they migrate. And probably, I think, one of the greatest challenges is a massive change in the age structure of the population. In so much as across the world, women are having less children, and as a consequence, as we're also living longer, the age composition of our population is changing. So, for example, by the middle of the century, for the very first time, there will be as many old people as there are young people on this planet. We have some very, very good demography databases. The United Nations, for example, nowadays has a pretty good collection of population statistics, but they vary. Uh, some countries, the database from which the UN can draw its statistics, obviously the statistics are not as good as in other countries. Can't 
in our pews, the electricity of raw gossip flitting around us like so many wings. We feed on it, spread it around like a honey that sticks. Our Madam Archdeacon is at the centre of it all, and if the rumours are true, no vestment can hide her guilt from the likes of us. The service is about to start. The organ hums to life, signalling the start of the processional. The venerable queen is about to emerge. Suspicion thickens the air like pollen. Our faces turn towards the narthex, primed to sting. Conditions are favourable for swarming. I drink good coffee. Comes from a place that's far away And when I'm done, I feel like talking Without you here, there is Don't want you thinking I 
but it's closer to the truth. And if I lived till I was a hundred and two, I just don't think I'll ever get over you. I'm no longer moved to drink strong whiskey. I shook the hand of time And I knew That if I lived Till I could no longer Climb my stairs I just don't think I'll ever get Face it dances and it haunts me. The laughter still ringing in my ears. I still find pieces of your presence here. Even Don't want you thinking that I don't get asked to dinner Cause I'm young to say that I sometimes do Even though I may soon feel the touch of love Just don't think I'll ever get over you. Yeah, if I lived till I was hundred and two, I just don't think I'll ever get over. listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. You sent me a poem from the New York Times. Thick, knotted hands, faintly shaking as you carefully, deliberately, clipped around the article, placing it in an envelope, walking it to the mailbox. I can see from the grease marks you were eating something. 
perhaps your favorite, warm pound cake, sweet, soft, cool whip smeared on top, buttery, delicious memories of you, peeking at you in your study, book in hand, glasses down your nose, a no child's land, a no girl's land. I wish some part of me could float into your solitude, a dandelion, each feathery seed, my fairy tale, whisked in by summer breezes, softly falling, dust on your pages. I feel you reach for me in this single poem, but I am gone from you. Even a father cannot blow a dandelion over such a distance. Don't you see? I am in the meadow chasing butterflies, spinning in circles under blue sky, and you, you are in your study, brushing dust from your pages. The eyes go slowly when you close the door. And you leave me here by myself How do I fill my days when I feel so sad That your warmth has gone away I bite my lip to stop the tears But the tears come anyway Single thing, everything I do, I do because. 
was an ancient river god. We, his fish, speared by his glance, gutted till our mangled hearts bled, steeped in his ale-soused breath. Our mother, a river nymph, soothed the torrent to keep us afloat in our fragile paper boats. He turned younger through the years, through our unmooring, softer and drier, until we aged past him. We fidget, watch his body drift, forget its strength, his eyes losing themselves in quilt patterns. We sling our old answering back voices back and forth over his head, pinch his fingers hard, trying to bait the fierceness we were once so afraid of.
the wild travel Stimulating discussion Lift me Faster into the weakness Off the wall into blackness start observing and making conclusions about ourselves and our environment. Right or wrong, the conclusions we made affected our identity. As adults, we will most want to lie about how psychologically painful realities experienced as children affected who we are today. Perhaps you were raised in a single parent home in which you were neglected by your father. You learned that something was wrong with you. You weren't smart enough, attractive enough, athletic enough. You concluded that to make people love you, you needed to be perfect. As an adult, when someone points out your imperfections, you feel tremendous anxiety, but deny where it comes from. Perhaps you felt ugly as a child because you were teased for your appearance. You learned to eat in response to emotional pain. As an adult, you struggle to maintain a stable weight because your eating has very little to do with hunger. Perhaps you watched your parents fight. You learned to avoid conflict. Onions. Big bag of onions. Onions. Big bag of onions. Onions.
represent yet another possible convergence in adaptive behavior that happened during the second half of the Mesozoic era, starting about 150 million years ago. Given how strongly the evolution of flight in birds resembles flight found in pterosaurs. The evolution of birds, though, differs from that of pterosaurs on the basis of two major points. One is that birds almost certainly evolved from a lineage of flightless theropod dinosaurs. The other is that pterosaurs, along with dinosaurs, mosasaurs, and many other previously successful animals, all went extinct at the end of the Cretaceous period, whereas birds survived and thrived afterwards. Today, for example, we have 10,000 species of birds, or about 10 times the number of dinosaur species we've named from their 165 million years of Earth history. So what made birds so special in their evolution that they survived a mass extinction, one that took out the largest and the most successful reptiles of the land and sea? Well, part of the answer to this question is related to that first point, that birds are, according to the best recent work, the descendants of dinosaurs. This means that dinosaurs did not really go extinct. It's just onion after onion. Gone. 
So today, like many elderly people, many learning disabled people will only interact with those paid to care for them, professionals like me and my colleagues. And while I'd like to stress that those relationships are, of course, enriching and important both to them and to my colleagues and myself, they are simply not enough. We all need to see and to know people who are interested in us for who we are, not just because they're paid to be with us. 
And as someone who spent my whole working life in one way or another providing support to people with learning disabilities with the aim of enabling them to grow in independence and autonomy, I find myself asking whether I, the organisations that I work with in my sector and indeed the sector itself have simply got it wrong. I find myself actually asking, are we part of the problem? In my 20s, I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, championing the end of the big institutions and naively thinking that these small-scale ways of supporting people in their local community would automatically lead to integration. And while there are some excellent examples of this, it has not become a reality for all. It simply is not the norm. In stepping in to provide support to people, however well-meaning, I'm starting to believe that some aspects of this very carefully thought out support is all too quickly becoming an end to itself and can even become a barrier between the individual and the world into which they're trying to get. Oh 
the stars and to always put love first leave her windows uncovered at night and fill her rooms with the city lights as they to do with onions. There is no bag, and I might not be Bill, but something's big. Captain Charles Cunningham Boycott probably wasn't very nice, but still it was bad luck to become forever infamous because there wasn't a word in the language for what happened to him. He was an English land agent, shunned by his local community at the height of the agricultural and political crisis that gripped the west of Ireland in Victorian times. His name's become a verb and a noun to describe a form of protest now extremely fashionable. There are hundreds of boycotts of companies, goods and even people over everything from Israeli settlements in the West Bank to using kangaroo skin for football boots. The government says it's concerned about public bodies, local authorities, for instance, joining these boycotts. It's gesture politics, the government says, that can even undermine national security. Locally imposed boycotts are to be made illegal, enforced by severe penalties. A government minister is expected to announce the details while on a trip to Israel, the target of many boycotts over the Palestinian issue. Boycotts some see as a modern form of anti-Semitism. Critics are incensed at what they see as an anti-democratic crackdown that they say makes ethics illegal. So, should councils and other public bodies take ethical stands, some would say play political games, with our money? Wider question. Are boycotts a good and moral way to express disapproval, or a self-indulgent substitute for argument? in the biggest army the world has ever seen we were marching as one on the road to the holy grail started out seeking fortune and glory it's a short song but it's a hell of a story when you spend your lifetime trying to get your hands on the holy grail Have you heard about the great crusade? We ran into millions and nobody got paid Yeah, we raised four corners of the globe For the Holy Grail All the locals scattered They were hiding in the snow 
escape the cold light of pain I've been high and I've been low But I got nowhere else to go might expect to hear an angry buzzing when honeybees have been disturbed, but some apiarists reckon they can also deduce the condition of their bees from the sounds they make. A steady hum could be the sign of a contented hive. A change in tone might indicate that the bees are about to swarm. That intuition is about to be put to the test. Soon, beekeepers will be able to try to find out what is troubling a colony by listening to the buzz using a smartphone app. The app, which is in the final stages of testing, has been developed by Jerry Bromenschenk and a group of fellow bee experts at the University of Montana. It uses a form of artificial intelligence to analyse the sounds that bees are making in order to deduce whether they are suffering from a number of maladies. Those afflictions might provide an indication of an impending colony collapse disorder, or CCD, a mysterious syndrome that has plagued beekeepers in North America and Europe. Unlike a natural swarm, in which a large group of worker bees leave with their queen to form a new colony, CCD involves bees suddenly disappearing for no obvious reason, leaving their queen behind. Although recent reports suggest there has been a reduction in bee die-offs, according to some estimates, 10 million hives in America alone were wiped out by CCD from 2006 to 2013.
I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me again soon for another big bag of onions. Thank you very much.